everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on an Army veteran from the Army who went to West Point in Joe Kramer. He played ACHA hockey, which is club hockey division two when he was at West Point. Uh, but he grew up all over the place, started playing hockey at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, and uh, then moved to Minnesota, moved to Omaha to play AAA. Eventually, he ended up following his dad, who uh, was in special forces and went to West Point as well, to West Point, uh, spent a couple years in the military, in the Army, and now he is out in Colorado. And so this was an awesome conversation, a lot of different great, great points and a lot of great conversation based on how military training and, and military, just everything that they do, how it applies to athletics and hockey and our everyday lives. So fantastic, fantastic talk with him. But before we do get over to Joe, let's bring it on another fantastic guy in a one Jehu, Jeffrey Jehu Lavecchio Vex. What's going on today, dude? What's up, Dove? Hey, listeners. I don't know if you guys know this. You probably can't tell yet, but you will through the, throughout the episode. We got some new sexy mics. Mic stands, hanging mics. We're legit. We basically look like Joe Rogan meets, <laughs> I don't know, some other sick podcaster. All right. For the for surpassing a million downloads Toph bought us both some sick mics and mic stands so hopefully now you guys hear us more clearly you see us more dearly uh what is that you know what is that from uh um ben stiller god i've got nipples fucker can you milk me what is that what is that uh meet the parents uh, dude meet the parents thank you are you doing um, what he's trying to do the um the prayer, the prayer before the dinner prayer before yeah he's like, <laughs> To follow thee more nearly, um, <laughs> to see thee more clearly. But hopefully, you can honestly uh, hear us way, way, way more clearly. And uh, we were having fun, you know, before the show, during the show, making each other laugh here. And uh, so now we can do things like this. And you can probably still hear us. We have new microphones. <laughs> That's what you get when you get a million uh, downloads. And that's all thanks to you guys that know we now have this sexy equipment. So <laughs> we just wanted to say thank you. We're having an absolute blast with this stuff. Hopefully we're coming at you in HD now on your radio dia or podcasting cell phone, whatever you're listening to. It's just super fun to talk into this thing. Um, all I can think about right now is Ace Ventura with the, yeah. the apartment door scene. This is double plane sound, double pane soundproof glass. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, we're nerds. Anyways, I'm yeah, sorry, double... guys. I'm really sorry, but there's gonna yeah. be a lot of goofiness in this intro because these mics are just too fun. It's legit so fun. I'm swinging the arm around. I'm popping it like that. It just <laughs> makes cool noises, and I can like make my voice sound differently if I get in real close, and then I feel like Stevie Wonder or Barry Manilow, <laughs> you know. So, um, anyways, back and back on topic. Stevie Wonder I'm has doing, a high voice, by the way. Yeah, I'm I'm doing really well. Um, yeah, just having a great week, buzzing in the gym every day. More and more guys are coming back. Junior seasons 
regular seasons ended playoffs couple of my guys have already lost out uh tri-city's killing it we'd love to see it anderson cup champs not a big deal five banners for teams that i worked with this year all online throughout the uh, season so more and more junior teams are waking up and texting me and calling me about working with me next year so super excited about that if you know of a junior team who wants online training seriously please hit me up for a hilariously cheap price i can work with your team based off your schedule and write workouts with whatever equipment you have so it's been super exciting to see uh you know all these teams call me in the last couple of weeks and excited for for the future of that and helping more and more junior teams train smarter and harder and uh you know excited to have a military veteran um, on this podcast because you know i'm sure you guys know tof and i love first responders military veterans people who work in hospitals teachers cops firefighters anybody that's like that that's in the service of of the community um you know we want to do anything we can to help so this was a cool episode yeah this was awesome so many cool conversation points like we talked about at the beginning and uh yeah i mean we just we wouldn't have this stuff. We wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for the people that fight for our freedom. So uh, very, very cool. I do want to mention though, Jeffrey, one of your people that you train who I am really excited because we just asked her if she would come on the podcast and this girl has made me ugly cry, like legit ugly cry. Very ugly. I've seen it. <laughs> Uh, but this is really cool, guys. So Layla Anderson, for those of you that don't know, um, I, I'm sure people in, in the hockey world have seen a lot of the different videos, um, but she was the young girl who was fighting cancer while the St. Louis Blues were going on their Stanley Cup run. And there were just so many heartwarming stories and videos between her and her family and, and the St. Louis Blues and how they just accepted her as part of the team. Um, so Vex, you trained her. How unbelievable yeah. is that is so cool. And we're going to get her on the podcast guys. This I'm so excited. Yeah, dude, I'm stoked. I mean, yeah, she reached out to me because I was training um, one of her friends preparing for open heart surgery, a young buck named Lucas white, who I love. What's up Lucas. And uh, so Layla talked to the white family and they, uh, you know, probably said good things about me. What's up white. What's up whiteies. And uh, yeah, so she started training with me. And uh, I think we've been going like six weeks now um, and, you know, working on some coordination stuff and, um, you know, just getting her back in shape after, you know, all of the medicine she had to take for all that stuff. And she is a bad mama jamma. She is so tough. She's so cool. She's has so much perseverance. Um, and I asked her today before our training session, Hey, like, I don't know if you know this, but I have a podcast and, uh, you know, it's got over a million downloads. What's up? And uh, if you'd ever want to come on, like, I think that you could help a lot of kids, a lot of hockey players out there that are going through any type of tough time. Doesn't matter if it's as tough as what she went through or if it's a different type of tough, um, just learning from other people, um, you know, going through those tough times and hearing about how they conquered them is massively, massively uplifting and very important. So I think that um, it'll be a really, really cool episode having Layla on. And she's, she's such a cutie. She's a badass. Yeah, and and I would go even further to say that the St. Louis Blues probably don't win the Stanley Cup without her. I think she was that big of an inspiration to the players and to the team because at, at that point, right, I mean, playing professional hockey is really hard to begin with, but the grueling, just absolute, 
I don't even know, like battle of, of the NHL playoffs to win that Stanley cup is so incredibly difficult physically, mentally, emotionally. It just takes everything you have to be able to achieve that. And it takes everything out of you and to have someone like Layla who, I mean, your problems as a professional athlete, they, they are not very big, you know, as, as hard as it could be. I mean, you have someone like that to come in and inspire you with the fight that she was fighting. And, and I was a part of um, something like that. When I was at Cornell, there's this organization called team impact. And basically what they do is they pair up um, kids with severe illnesses to hockey teams or not hockey teams, but college teams it doesn't have to be hockey. And so we got paired with this kid named Colin who lived in our area and God, I mean, when he came in, I mean, and it's, it's so true. Like people think, or I don't, shouldn't say people think, but like just conventional wisdom is that like the team is doing something for the kid by allowing the kid to be a part of the team, you know, and, and helping the kid fight through a tough time. But at the end of the day, the team gets so much more out of that experience than anybody would ever know because we talk about a lot of X perspective. Perspective is one of the most powerful things in the entire world. And, you know, just having Colin as a part of our family and as a part of our team for as long as he was, and he unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Um, but man, like he just lit up the room every time he came in. Um, you know, he wasn't blessed with the things like he had brain tumors since he was like two years old and and he was nine ish actually i think he was like seven when we met him and so and god no having kids like it just i, I couldn't even imagine um, but his family was incredible colin was such a fighter always had a smile guys lit up whenever they had the chance to be around him and so I, i'm really interested to to hear layla talk about her experience and being a part of the blues because i mean she was in there for everything she was in there for you know the start of the playoffs. she was there when they won the cup um, she got a ring. I mean, it's just, God, it's so cool. So heartwarming. And I, I'm like so giddy to get the chance to talk to her. So cool. Yeah, dude, she is, she is something else. She is an absolute badass. So we are, uh, we are definitely going to have Layla Anderson on the podcast and it is going to be an episode for the ages. Super excited, <laughs> super excited to bring that to you guys. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, this one was really awesome too. Uh, Joe was uh, fantastic. Had some great stories, had some great metaphors and, and just a lot of things that become applicable to, to what we do on an everyday basis. And, and I am a vast reader. I love learning about the military and I talk about this on the podcast. There's, I mean, I love team building and there's nobody that does it like the military because these men and women literally are taking bullets for each other. They love each other that much. They're taking bullets for each other. We like to say that, you know, in the locker room and stuff. Um, but they're actually doing that. And so we got to pick pick Joe's brain about um, leadership. We got to pick his brain about building teams and, and sacrificing for each other. And he had some great stories. And so I think you guys are, are really, really going to like that one. Um, before we do get over to Joe, we do have some people that we want to thank first. We want to thank Gel Sticks, who is our title sponsor. And go to gelstx.com and put in the coupon code THINKTAKE and you can get a discount on some weighted training sticks. And this is a fantastic time of year. This is the time, you know, to, to off the ice, fine tune your skills and go down with gel sticks, shoot hundred bucks a day in the basement. Can't even imagine what that's going to do. And shooting bucks, hundred bucks in the basement takes what? 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops. 
Um, just think about that. And so you compound that over days and weeks and, and months during the summer, think about how much better your shot can be, especially when you're doing with, with, uh, with a, a product like gel sticks who NHL teams are using it. The NTDP uses it. College teams are using it and, and just a fantastic, fantastic company and fantastic product. So uh, again, go to gelsticks.com, G E L S T X.com. Use the coupon code think tank one word to get a discount on your weighted training sticks. <laughs> I also want to thank, Whoa, that came out hot. A little too close to the new mic. Sorry guys. Uh, we also want to thank Train Heroic. Like I said earlier, that's the app that all of my online training programs are housed on. Videos of me demonstrating and coaching every single thing I have you do. It's literally like I'm right next to you for an absolute fraction of the price. Um, like it's hilarious. It's basically free, like dollar a day, you know, or $12 a week for my newest off-season programs. But it will take you from when you start your off-season to peaking at the end of summer, getting you ready to go into your season. Literally, there's a reason thousands of hockey players have used my online training in the last two years. Let me help you stop guessing. So many kids message me and say, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? I'm like, dude, just $12 a week. Like you will get better. I literally promise you. And you can send me videos asking questions on form and I will answer you. It's me. I don't pay somebody to do it. That is literally me answering everyone. So if you're looking for off-season training program, um, you know, DM me on Instagram, follow me. What's up? Um, or just Google ripped hockey train heroic and you can uh, find the 2022 off-season programs. And then also I'd like to thank cured nutrition. Um, I literally been taking the CBD for six to seven months, maybe a little bit longer than that. And uh, it's a game changer for me, literally with 14 concussions that has been huge for me. So I got a discount with them. It's curednutrition.com. The discount is GMBM. So, um, you know, if you're looking to try something to make you feel better for so many different reasons, um, CBD is an unbelievable natural homeopathic, uh, way to do that. So curednutrition.com discount code GMBM. <laughs> um, you I know love what? this I, mic. I know I do too. We're going to have so much fun with this thing. Um, I, I, one thing with that. And so I think a way to maybe reframe, I think a lot of people, and I did for a long time, have this like weird relationship with health and wellness, especially when it comes to physical health. Um, especially you, man, you went through some, you went through some turbulent times there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, With your stomach stuff and finishing playing and yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was, there were some, yeah, there were some trials and tribulations, trials and tribulations. <laughs> um, I, I really feel like a way to kind of reframe it because like when we're honestly looking at this, you said it's 12 bucks a week, which is less than $2 a day. It's like $2 a day for a workout. That's nothing. <laughs> I shouldn't say that's nothing. It's not nothing for a lot of people. That's something for sure. Um, but $12 a week is an investment, right? It's an investment in your health and well-being. If you want to talk about it from a cost standpoint, investing $12 a week in something like this from, um, from money, like it's going to save you a hell of a lot of money down the road oh, <laughs> insurance premiums so and you know, just, just different type of, of stuff, but also like invest in yourself. If you want to change or you want to accomplish something, you have to invest in yourself. You have to make the choice to be proactive 
and invest in your in your well-being. I'm sitting here and I've talked about it in the last couple of podcasts. Like I've really started to do that. I've always invested in other people, which is a good thing, which is a great thing. I think it's it's gotten me a lot of great things and I've been able to help a lot of people, but I've always done it in neglect of myself and my own, especially physical health. Um, Cause you're just burning your like working wise, you're just burning both ends of the stick. Right. And that's the first thing that, you know, you kind of forget to think about. And so I've really looked at it like investing in myself. And I can tell you a hundred percent right now that investing in my physical health has allowed me to help so many more people because now I'm way better with my mental clarity. I have so much more energy. Now I have almost more of a reason to eat better, right? Because like, I, again, it's investing in, in myself. Um, and, and so like, this is something $12 a week for, I'm plugging you here, Jeff. So you're welcome. I appreciate it, but I believe um, it. Um, like $12 a week for this program that, thousands of people are using, including many professional hockey players, including people that just want to get healthy. Maybe they're, they're not in a great spot right now, but this is a way to kind of get started. And, and I've used it. Like, it's very easy. Vex has like all of these videos to, to, to show you. And it might take like maybe a little bit more time at first because you got to learn all the exercises, but once you get it down, I mean, it's just, it's go time. And our cousin Vinny, my cousin Vinny, ha, that was a movie with uh, Joe Pesci. Thank you very much. Uh, our cousin Vinny, he he's used it for like a like over a year now. Over a year, like. and he's yo jacked, dude. Vinny, I, he's gonna listen to this, and he's gonna text me and be like, oh, "I'm yoked." But yeah, honestly, like he is yoked. And <laughs> the best part is, like, dude, like my butt fills out my pants now. Like <laughs> my pants are all like tight around my thighs and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, what's up, dude? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, and, and it could be as simple as honestly, like maybe, maybe taking a step to do train heroic right now is, is feels like too much and th that's okay. Just get on a track, go for a walk, you know, go for a walk. Maybe that's the first thing. Maybe you do 15 pushups before you go to bed every night. And then maybe in, in week two or in day two, if you're feeling inspirational, you, you do 20 and then 25. It, it, it's not this like dichotomy of like, I, I, I work out or I don't, you can work your way up to it. And that's kind of how I did it. And, and so like, yeah, I, 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 I would invest in yourself, right? Frame it in a way of like how you treat your body physically is going to help you in so many different ways. And if you're somebody like me who loves to help other people, you're at your best of service when you're at best with yourself. And so, um, train rock 12 bucks a week, do it, do Being, it, do you, it. You, you take <laughs> 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, whatever time you have, however much time you like working out for you invest that time in yourself and you be a little bit selfish with that time, make sure that you schedule it out just like every other appointment. Um, and you will be able to be more selfless the rest of the day. Like you said, dude, I'm obsessed with, with working out because it makes me feel so much better. I sleep better. I'm happier. I deal with stress better. Like it is so freaking important it's so important and and you know if you haven't seen those memes like you either spend a little bit money now to either join a gym or i mean you could do it for free just 
out in your house, whatever, or do like a train heroic, like I have, or do something, or you will spend time and money on your health later in life. There's no question about that. And the goal is, is to delay that. And, and as long as you can until like your last days and just living in a better way will make your whole life better. I literally promise you, that's why I'm obsessed with this stuff. And it's so cool to see you, you know, the last, what is it probably six weeks where you've been doing, you know, making sure that you're taking care of your physical health, making sure you're taking care of your mental health, waking up a little bit earlier to get stuff done in the morning. Like we've been talking about, like you, like you've been talking about from Craig Ballantyne. If you haven't heard that podcast from us, listen to it. Um, it's just so cool. And literally dude, your face looks so different. Like it's wild. It's so wild. Great. I don't mean that. I mean, like, like you, you, your face looks healthier. You, you look happier. Um, it's, it's wild, dude. It's, it's so cool. It's everything. Don't be afraid. And then the last thing I'll say about it and before we stop talking about this is, you know, just like the same as during COVID, I gave away hundreds, if not a thousand free programs to people who weren't working and didn't have money. If you honestly can't afford um, to train with me online, literally DM me on Instagram. You better follow me first. DM me on Instagram and blue I check mark. <laughs> blue check mark. And I will, I will literally send you some workouts for free. Literally 100%. I've done it so many times. I'm that passionate about helping people. And, uh, so don't be ashamed. Literally send me a DM and I, I will hook you up. I got you. Love it. Love it. Okay. Nice little tangent there. I like it. Uh, also want to thank icehockeysystems.com, your premier Woo! site for your coaching and player development needs. Uh, guys, use this. We've partnered with them. Uh, I, I really think you're missing out. Again, you talk about helping people. You want to help your players. You want to help your coaches. This is an absolute game changer. It, it, it just makes things so much easier as a hockey director. It makes things so much easier as a coach to, to be able to be organized with your practice plans, drawing drills up, um, you know, even your systems. And there's so many different drills and so many different whiteboard explanations, even if you're a hockey nerd and, and you want to just learn a little bit more about the game. So this site has it all. Again, we've partnered with them to do an associations platform. So you can get this for every single coach and every single parent in your organization. And so unbelievably low cost, high value, uh, all the coaches get the resources that the site brings all of the parents get the hockey think tank survival guide, which again, if you're a hockey director, I think this will help to, to, I shouldn't say put out fires, but it will help to make sure that there are less fires that exist within your organization, which will allow you to do what you want to do, which is help your coaches and help your players to, to get better. And so, uh, ice go to the associations platform, search for it. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome stuff with that partnership. And then thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of the people that continue to listen to our podcast. We so appreciate all of your support. It would go a long way for us if you could um, share this with your, your groups that you're with, whether it's a team, whether it's a parent group, whether it's with your organization, um, hit that share button. And uh, it goes a long way for, for us to continue to spread what we hope are positive messages and, and some education about what we call the greatest game in the planet. So thank you so much for all of your support. And uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode with uh, a military guy, an army guy in uh, Joe Kramer. Thank you to all of the service members that are listening to this right now. We so appreciate your service. And uh, without further ado, here we go with Joe Kramer. 
We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He's out in the Colorado area. We have Joe Kramer. Joe, how are we doing today? Doing really well. Excited to be on here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. And, and you know that uh, Jeff and I have a special place in our hearts for service members. And uh, to start the podcast, just want to say, you know, thank you for your service, my friend. We really, really appreciate it. Freedom is not free. And uh, we so appreciate you and, and your brother and, you know, putting your bodies and putting your lives on the line so we can do things like this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to uh, to start the podcast, man. Thank you. It means a lot. You yeah, bet. We, you bet. And, we, and, and we, we truly, truly do mean that. Truly mean that. Anytime either one of us can give back to firefighters, policemen, military veterans of anything, we try to do everything we can for them. So seriously, thank you. Hopefully I uh, represent services and, and service academy hockey well on the show. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you, you have some pretty big shoes to fill because honestly, one of our most... I would say it downloaded and um, most popular podcast that we've done has been with Brian Riley, who is the head coach at uh, West Point. And that was just like an absolute masterclass on leadership. So for everybody that's listening, I encourage you uh, at some point, go back and listen to Brian Riley's interview because that one was absolutely unbelievable. Did you ever run into him in your time at, uh, at West Point? No, not, I, I guess not outside of like just seeing him. I, I never that I recall had a conversation with him directly. Um, but I mean, just being a hockey player and like going to West Point, I knew about Brian Riley and just kind of the legacy of the Riley family at sure. West Point. So, and I mean, that's, I wanted to be a part of that. Unfortunately I wasn't, but you know, I got to do some pretty cool stuff with Army's ACHA division two team. So you know, it's, it's a give and take. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, we're looking forward to hearing all about that, but let's take it back to the beginning first and uh, want to know about you and, and uh, want to introduce you to our listeners here. So just getting the chance to talk to you beforehand. Um, <laughs> Jeff is putting on some glasses right now. Are those legit glasses or what? Yeah, bro. Blue blockers. Come on. Come on, baby. There you go. <laughs> all right. Hold on. I'm going to put, I'm going to put mine on too. Do you have some too? Ready? You I do. Spectacles. Oh man. I should, blue you should have let me know. I would have brought mine. Where's your, where's <laughs> your joke? Party. Come on, baby. Uh, back in my, well, office slash bedroom. <laughs> yeah, Mountain there you go. Dining room right now. There we go. There we go. Uh, but yeah, Joe, so let's take it way back, man. And so you come from a service family. Your dad was in the army and uh, you grew up in a lot of different places. But in, in talking to you beforehand, you talked about being at Fort Bragg and that's where you were learning to skate. And I think you said that Fort Bragg was the only service place where there was a rink on on site, which is, uh, which is pretty cool and pretty lucky for you to be able to do that and, and fall in love with the game there. So, uh, if you can just talk a little bit about how you got into the game of hockey and talk a little bit about your childhood as uh, as a military brat. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I started skating when I was three. Um, my mom competed nationally as a figure skater when she was young. Um, so I, I got started on skates fairly early. Um, I didn't start playing hockey till I was six. Um, when my dad was stationed at Fort Bragg. Um, from what I remember, the, the base was just advertising like, uh, hey, learn to play hockey. It's super cheap. Like we'll essentially give you the gear for close to nothing. 
And so my parents got me signed up and the rest is history. I loved it. <laughs> so I played, played a few years there um, through my first year of sports. Then uh, my dad uh, and our family picked up and moved over to Germany. Um, and so I played a couple years in Germany. Uh, it was really cool because I moved there right as they started checking. Um, and they play small areas up until peewees. So I got a lot of experience on how to play physical. Moving into my peewee year, we moved back to the States uh, to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, um, which is when at that time hitting started in the States. So I had a leg up on everybody, um, which was nice. Um, so I played for the Kansas City Outlaws for a couple seasons, made enough noise to catch the attention of a, a, a dad who's a GM for a summer AAA team in Minnesota. So I skated with them for a couple of summers um, in high school um, and caught the attention of uh, the Omaha Junior Lancers AAA program. Um, they were just starting their U16 team um, my junior year of high school. What, played year, there. what year would that have been? uh 2010 2011 oh okay i was gonna say i, I would have watched you play if it was a couple years after that when i was because i remember <laughs> watching I, I i watched wilkie's teams um you know when he was going through and, and coaching those midget programs in omaha he always had pretty good teams so um that would have been pretty funny if i would have actually got the chance <laughs> to uh see you play joe I, just... I want i want to ask you something real quick so like going over to germany obviously as a young kid you know, I've, I've lived all over the place. I moved away from home at like 15 and a half. Um, luckily, I was living with the other guy on the end of this podcast. Oh, yeah. with a sick new microphone <laughs> toe um, for my first year. But then in, you know, strangers families uh, house when I was 17, 18, 19. But moving away um, to a place so different than the U.S., did playing hockey help you make friends? Did it help you assimilate into, you know, living in a different country like how did that how did that you know help you or did it not help you at all uh no it, it really did and actually I, I can think of a couple of stories just offhand of um you know it was a it was a great it was a learning experience for me as well as for my teammates so I went to um an international school um while I was over there um so I was taking German classes every single day so being on a German hockey team sort of forced me to use what I was learning in class. And if anything, I think it progressed my German even faster. And I learned to speak like a native, um, which was kind of cool once I was back in the States. Um, when I, in the future, when I was at West Point, I majored in German and Russian. And like, even my instructors there were like, I know exactly where you learn German because you still have a Bavarian accent. But it also gave my teammates an opportunity because, you know, in, in German schools, they were taking in English classes. So, you know, my German got better, probably better than, you know, their English got better just because mine had to get better. Um, you, you were know, learning to, to really, you were learning it through like the swear words and stuff. <laughs> the locker room talk. <laughs> and, and so, yes, uh, I learned Scheisse very early on, which for anyone that, can't figure it out means shit um, and uh, I was I vividly recall being in, in one of my German classes and like getting a question wrong or something and and like just under my breath just being like scheisse 
And my teacher just like whirled around and was like, what did you just say? And I was like, I, I thought it meant like, shoot or darn it. Like I didn't realize like what level was on there, um, but very quickly figured it out. Um, so <laughs> I just think that's so cool, man. I was, I was at a hockey camp up in, uh, on Long Island. I kept wanting to say in Long Island, but that doesn't make sense because it's on Long Island, on Long Island um, last week. And, you know, there was, there was this one kid there who, you know, not the best hockey player at the camp, newer to hockey. And uh, I could totally see that, you know, maybe he was a little bit shy, a little bit more nervous than all the other kids, you know, not confident in his abilities on the ice or probably off the ice as well. And, uh, so I made it a point to like, uh, you know, really befriend him and put him on the spot and get him comfortable and have all the boys start cheering for him during the workouts. And by the end of the camp, all the coach vo coaches voted him the most improved player over the camp. And he made friends over the course of the camp. The boys loved him. He had such a great time. He, you know, gave me a hug goodbye and took a picture with me. And he just had such a good experience. And three days, two days after I got home, I got a, I got a message from him on Instagram at Jeff Levecchio. Hit me up. What's up? Follow me. And blue check mark. Uh, blue check mark. Blue check mark. And, uh, but no, but seriously, he, he, he messages me and he's like, coach, like why, why do you think the, the guys at this camp all liked me so much? Like, what did I do? Like, and you could tell that it was like, you know, if he wouldn't have come to that camp, I don't know. I just think that it brought confidence to his life. He, he made friends. He learned how to just have fun and, and relax and stuff. And I just think it's so friggin' important to put your kids into youth sports for a billion different reasons. And we always talk about it on this podcast, but like you going over to Germany, you know, as a young, young kid, I just think that that probably helped you so much. And then you say, Oh, you know, I'm in the military years and years later and I'm doing German because I went over to Germany and you learned German because you played hockey. You learned it faster. You know, you learned like the real, not the in-school German, you learn the real German. There's just so many different positive effects that come from playing youth sports especially hockey so i think that's just really cool to hear it is and and even you know taking that one step further even is just how incredibly small the hockey world is and even on an international level because when i was at west point i had an opportunity to go over to germany for a couple weeks um, to train with the german army unit and uh, on one of the weekends and sidebar my family was my my mom my dad and my younger brother were like over in germany at the same time i was at west point they drove down dropped a car off with me so on one of the weekends i drove to munich and stayed with one of my old hockey teammates and his family <laughs> from when i was little how cool and, All the way and, across the world. We, and we met up with you know a few of my other teammates that were like still in the area and like you know, all good friends. So it, you know, it's, it's, it's just crazy. Like the people that, that you meet in the hockey world, you never know, you know, how you might cross paths again in the future. So that is, that is very cool. That is very, very cool. I think we can all probably think of a few times, right? You know, like it's, it's hockey's different now. I think Vex, when we kind of were growing up, you didn't really know people from other places you just kind of heard of them and stuff. And now with be, between summer hockey and spring hockey and all these different kind of like showcases and stuff, 
uh, you get to know a lot more people and, and the world has become a lot smaller and, and uh, re- at reunions are the best too. Like there's nothing like reunions, <laughs> whether it's like, honestly, like peewee teams or, or even college teams or whatever. It's uh it's, it's really, really cool. So um, I, I got a question for you, Joe, because, you know, you mentioned that your dad's in the military uh, military guy, been for a long time. And, you know, that's all for most of us, you know, our, our dad is the person we see the most. Our dads are our biggest mentor and things like that. And so, you know, you followed his path to West Point and into the army. So if you can just talk a little bit about why you wanted to do that, what kind of an influence your dad had on you and why you felt that you had the call to serve um, kind of similar to, to what he did. Yeah. So I think, you know, when I was really, really little, it was, it was a very young kind of like, and so I, I I should caveat this with, you know, my earliest memories are from three years old. Um, we were stationed at Fort Carson, Colorado. Um, my dad was a special forces green beret, a team leader. So my earliest memories of my, you know, growing up and of my dad is like, oh, my dad could kick your dad's ass. Like, you know. For real though. <laughs> like for real, for yeah, real. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I think on, you know, the most simple level, I was just like, my dad is the coolest. He's a badass. Like I, I want to do exactly what he did. And so I, like I learned that my dad had gone to the U.S. Military Academy and then become an army officer and then, you know, went into special forces. So I was like, that's what I want to do. Um, and then, it, you know, as I got older and just kind of traveling all around around the world, you know, because of the, the path his career took, you know, we spent a year um, in Zagreb, Croatia. I was, I was born in Germany. We went back there after, you know, I started learning to play hockey, we, we went back to Germany and lived there for another three years. And while we were overseas, we would always, my parents would always take me um, and then my younger brother just to all these other different countries. And so as I got older, I think my reasons for wanting to follow in his footsteps became more nuanced because I was like, oh, wow, like these are the opportunities I can have if that's what I do. And also just feeling that I can't tell you exactly where it came from, you know, if it's just something that's passed down, if it's just something that you kind of recognize in yourself, but I just knew that I wanted to serve my country um, and that I wanted to lead soldiers. So as I got older and more and more options kind of opened up as, as paths to that, I just realized that like West Point was the best and that's where I wanted to go. I love that so much. And, and I'm so interested. I, I can have a conversation for hours with you on, on this, but you know, we're obviously a hockey podcast, but we talk a lot about leadership and you mentioned that you wanted to lead soldiers onto the battlefield. And, and I'm wondering from your experience, like what are a couple of different things that you learned on how to be a leader from being at what many people would say the, the top military leadership institute in the entire world? I'm just so fascinated by it because, you know, you guys literally teach each other to take bullets for each other. You know, I think we say that all the time in the locker room and, and on the ice, you know, we want to take a bullet for our teammates. Um, you know, you guys literally do that 
So <laughs> if you can just, uh, just talk, talk about what you learned as a leader at West Point. There are a lot of lessons that I learned there. Um, and I think probably some of the biggest ones, um, are the ones that I learned just kind of in, in retrospect. Um, and I, you know, after reflecting and being away, I think one, one of the lessons that I learned is sort of balancing glass balls and rubber balls. And I think that's, you know, something you could take as a leader in the military, but also just, you know, as a life lesson. Um, so what, so what does that mean? I've never heard that before, actually. What's, what's balancing <laughs> glass balls and rubber balls? So, um, it's, it's an analogy, say you're, you're juggling a bunch of balls and you have glass ones and rubber ones. So the, the rubber ones are the ones that if you let it drop, it'll just bounce right back up and you can kind of pick it back up and toss it back in the rotation versus the glass ones where if you let it drop, it shatters. Like you, you can't pick it back up, you can't put it back together. Um, and what they symbolize is you know, the glass balls and the rubber balls in your life. So there are certain things, you know, on a day to day in your life that are rubber balls They're, you know, if you, if you miss it, um, if you don't follow through on it, it's not going to be a big deal versus a responsibility or an obligation. That's a glass ball is something that if you, if you drop it, it's going to shatter. It's going to have some serious negative impacts and, you know, in your life, it could impact other people in your life. Um, and so sort of being able to recognize and, and, you know, each of us only has 24 hours in a day. And I, I think a lot of us can attest to the fact that we have more things that we need to get done in a day than we have the time for. And so it's really important to recognize, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, what the glass ball is that needs to get done and, you know, what, what can you kind of, let it bounce, come and pick it back up. That's awesome. I, it's so applicable, honestly, to my life right now. Uh, one of the things we talked about on the last podcast between Vex and I is, is boundaries, <laughs> setting boundaries <laughs> for things and how it's changed my life in, in a lot of different ways, because you're right. Like, you know, for me, father of three kids under five, you know, just all this hockey stuff that we're doing. Um, it, it feels like I don't have time. And when I put boundaries on things, um, it, it really made a huge difference. And uh, another thing is just like some stuff really matters and stuff, some stuff just really doesn't matter. And, and a lot of times I, I think um, we get so caught up in things that don't really matter. And I think for kids specifically, it's social media. It, it's the end all be all for, for kids nowadays. And they get so wrapped up in everything. It's got to be a perfect post. It's got to be a perfect comment. You know, what are these people commenting on my stuff, the negatives, the positives and all of that. And, and at the end of the day, it's like that stuff doesn't matter as much as we really think it does. And so I, I just love that analogy. And, and I hope a lot of people out there can, can kind of take that and use that in your own life, especially because we're all so busy nowadays. You know, we're so busy, especially like young parents. I know there's a lot of parents listening to this podcast. We got so many different responsibilities between work and family and friends and social and just everything that we're doing. You know, what are the rubber balls and what are the glass balls? That's such a great analogy. I love that. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad you found it applicable. It's it's important to me, especially as I, like I'm, I totally understand the, the fatherhood thing because I have 
four under five. Um, oh, excuse me. <laughs> uh, so uh, we, had, <laughs> we got twins, so that's the only reason I'm okay. <laughs> still, you have four kids under five, dude. Yeah. Oh our, our oldest is our oldest is five and uh the twins will be four next month um and then our littlest is just over a year old <laughs> wow Vex, can um, you imagine that <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not so do you like do you, is that something that you use in like your everyday life then just setting priorities setting boundaries what are the glass balls what i mean i asked you about leadership and that was what you said that's what you've brought up. So I'm assuming you do, but is it really the kind of like helped you in your day to day, even after you're done with your military service? Absolutely. Because it just, it's, it's for me, it's an excellent filter of like, what's, what's really important. You know, I think something, especially is like as an assistant coach for CSU, it's, it's unpaid, it's volunteer and recognizing like, and I'm not saying that, uh, figuring out your glass balls and rubber balls is going to be easy um, or determining when to pick and choose, you know, what to drop. It's, it's easy, but it, it, it sort of clarifies like this decision that needs to be made. Like there, there are a handful of times over the course of four years where I told our, our head coach, like, Hey, I'm going to miss a game or I'm going to miss practice or at the very beginning of the season, laying out clear, expectations that like, Hey, I'm not going to make road games at all this season because I have a wife and four kids that I need to be around for. (laughs) So just, just things like that. I do like what you said about the perfection thing, because that kind of brought up another lesson um, that, that I feel like West Point really kind of hit home with me and, and then just kind of fixing my relationship with failure and being okay with it. And realizing that it's not the be all end all. <laughs> Dude, that is like so profound. Fixing your relationship with failure. Wow. What a, what a, like a way to frame that. Like everybody has a relationship with perfectionism. Everybody has a relationship with failure that like, if you think about it in that way, that's like, wow. I just like, my mind just got bended, you know, <laughs> it's just, just such a great way to articulate it. That yeah. Makes it that's like you said, frames it in a more positive manner. Yeah. And like failure is going to kick your ass at times. You know, you're going to kick failure's ass at times. Like there's going to be times where it's going to get to you. There's going to be times where it's not going to, not going to get to you. I just think, wow, what like a really cool way to think about it. Because at the end of the day, like fear of failure is probably the biggest (laughs) like epidemic in the world. I mean, it, it, it's paralyzing a hundred percent. Right. And, and, and I think that's, you know, striving to be perfect I think is part it was helpful in a way to get into West Point um you know it kind of helped me um and I and I have to thank my parents for that um but it sort of made the path to getting to West Point easier um you know it kept me out of trouble um and and falling into you know some some pitfalls that you know could have kept me from getting into West Point in the first place um but once I was there I just realized that trying to be perfect um, and being afraid to fail um, was was a handicap, um, you know. That and and there were just a few different moments that that I kind of realized that, and especially when I kind of reflected on them later, that I'm like, you know, I, I had one viewpoint of, of failure and perfection, 
Um, and then over the course of my four years there and going through some of those things on the opposite side, I realized like, okay, like I'm, I'm not as afraid of failure as I used to be. And, and that's been really helpful. You know, I, I don't want to take too long, but I, I can think of a specific example if it would yeah, be helpful. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I love, I think I do like, this is so applicable to all of our lives especially people who want to be high achievers, especially people who have goals and aspirations, which a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they do. I think that's why they listen to us and to, to all of our amazing guests that we bring on. So like, I, this is really hitting home with me and I'm sure Vex, you too, and, and, and a lot of other people. So I would absolutely love to hear an example. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the, I, the best example I can think of is um, this one. Uh, so when you're a cadet, during the summers, you usually have some sort of military training um, and it looks different every summer. Going into either your junior or senior year, you go into this training called uh, Cadet Leadership Development Training. And basically um, you get put into a unit with your peers um, and it's sort of like a mock ranger school in that you're constantly rotating leadership positions. So one day, um, you know, you're just a guy in the squad carrying your rifle, following orders um, and doing what you're told to do. And then the next day you might be in a leadership position, whether it's in charge of a squad um, and you know, you're just kind of responsible for making sure that the eight or 10 guys that you're responsible for have what they need and or where they're supposed to be when they need to be there. Um, or even the platoon leader, like planning actual like simulated combat missions. Like this is how we're gonna get to our objective once we're there. This is, you know, our plan of attack and, you know, how we're con conduct things. Um, and so when I was the platoon leader, um, we had a particular mission. Going through the mission was kind of a, you know, a leadership experience in and of itself. But, it, you know, I, we bumped along, made it through. Um, but then we were basically withdrawing after we completed our objective and um, kind of returning to base, if you will. And along the way, we realized that we came across some opposition forces. So just like other cadets who were mock playing the enemy. Um, and I realized that we had come up behind them and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I'm, you know, on top of like doing an okay job, like on our actual mission, like we're gonna come up and surprise the op for, this is gonna be great. Um, well, our radio communications broke down and the, the actual officers who are in charge of like managing our training, let the other officers of the op four know like, hey, we've come up behind you guys, like turn around and start attacking because they, they wanted to see how we and, and me in particular in a, in a rated leadership position, like how was I gonna respond to that? And I remember freezing up because I was like, my radios don't work. I don't know how to get in touch with like the squad leaders that I need to kind of move around. And so I was struggling um, for lack of a better term. And at, at a certain point, one of the officers is like, Cadet Kramer, there are going to be times in, in your life where shit hits the fan and, and people are going to be following you. 
and you just need to recognize when it's time like you might not know exactly what to do but you literally just need to look at your people and be like follow me and just attack and so i you know i following his instruction i did that and you know again we kind of bumped along through you know fighting off the op four and you know at the end of the day i swapped out leadership positions and made it through but where that lesson came into play was later on when i was in the real army and we were in a field training exercise um, getting ready to deploy my unit got attacked by op four at a very inopportune time um, as those things always tend to happen and rather than because of my position, I didn't do anything immediately because there were senior leaders that I felt that I, sh I was supposed to be taking direction from, but they weren't providing it. And so they, they kind of had the seize up paralyzed moment themselves. And so for me, I was like, I've been through this before. I know what to do. And so I was able to take my platoon and start reacting. And that sort of kickstarted everyone else doing what they needed to do. And, you know, we kind of moved along through the attack and, and kind of kept going, but it was, it was really nice. It was a nice feeling for me to realize, like I had gone through that, that failure once at West Point, And then that helped me like do better as an actual army officer and, you know, in a field exercise down the line. So it's almost like you failure became your friend. Like you talk about that analogy of having the relationship with it. Mm -hmm. Use like it's your friend. Like failure is something that's a necessary thing if you want to grow. Um, and and I, I, the the one thing that I kind of took out of that story too is I feel like a lot of leadership is putting out fires. A lot of leadership is being able to provide a little bit of calm and provide a little bit of direction in in a time of stress in a time of chaos. Let's call it. And I feel like, you know, as, as a player, some of those times could be maybe during losing streaks. I think a big part of that is, you know, away from the rink. That's where I think your leadership really shines is away from the rink, especially like coming from a college setting. I do a lot of this talks, or I talk a lot about this with the college teams and the junior teams, especially the older teams. Like the most important time for leadership is the um, unstructured situations where everybody's just kind of sitting around. Because a lot of times that's where a lot of the toxicity comes in, you know, talking crap about different players or the coach or the systems or whatever it is, is people that are unhappy. That's where they like to vent. That's where they like to, and that's where a leader needs to step in and say, and say, Hey, no, like if you have an issue, go talk to the coach. If you have an issue, go talk to that player that you have an issue with rather than just like let things fester and let the, the negativity and the negative attitudes kind of be contagious because energy is contagious, whether it's positive or negative, but then, you know, going into being a coach and then now even a hockey director at, at the youth levels, a lot of what you do is just putting out fires. And so one way that you can go when the fires arise is you can just blame other people and be like, uh, you know, it's not my fault. And, you know, things are just whatever. And, and just kind of like let them fester or whatever, but a real leader, what they do is they take action. They take action. They put strategic uh, strategies in place. You know, they're, they're not afraid to have tough conversations with people that, that need to have tough conversations with and really kind of chart a path forward. And, and that's, it's a very difficult thing to do. Right. And you, it, you can't learn that in a textbook. You could learn how to be authentic. You can learn a lot of different things from listening to podcasts like ours or reading things in a book or going through the certain things that you did. But like at the end of the day, um, once you, you get punched in the mouth, that's when the real experience of learning comes. 
And, and I think what you're talking about again is so applicable to our everyday lives. And I think that's, that's a lesson that we all should really think about in these times of struggle, in these times of chaos and, and distress, like real leaders bring people together. Real leaders take action and chart a path forward. They're action oriented rather than just sitting back and just kind of like feeling sorry for the fact that you got a lot of fires in your way. No, let's get that fire extinguisher and let's start to put them out. You know, like I th- that's what real leadership is. And I think that's what you were able to learn through some of those missions where it became chaotic. And, and mm-hmm. that's what the military is really, really good at. <laughs> They're going to make you fail a lot. And, and through that comes constraint. I mean, most people, honestly, that's why leadership's so hard. Most people quit at the end of the day. Like, when you go through these really tough leadership and, and military exercises, like my cousin just got done, um, you know, finishing the buds program out to become a Navy oh, SEAL. Nice. I think they started with 300 and they ended up with 30. And, and that's where yeah. that, it's, that's it's yeah. because going through hard stuff is hard. It's hard for a reason. And, and so I, I feel like, God, it's such a, every freaking podcast facts. We talk about resiliency and, you know, how important failure is. And we have to put people in more situations where, where they're going to fail. And then we have to teach them that it's a good thing. Failure is your friend. And we got to teach them and give them the strategies to know how to get through it as a leader or as a follower. That's why you sports are so important. They're so important because obviously, you know, nobody's going to be good right off the bat at anything, but especially sports. And so letting the kids fail and letting them, you know, like kind of go off on their own page without treating them like a robot. I mean, Tope, you tweeted about this and put it on Instagram yesterday from Gretzky's podcast with Spit and Chicklets that that just came out talking about, um, you know, Gretzky was talking about his dad uh, with uh, a youth team that Wayne was playing against when he was younger that was killing everybody and they could never beat him because they were so structured and so like, like playing like robots and the, you know, Walter Gretzky was like, none of those kids will play juniors. And he was, he wound up being correct because by, by, you know, treating those players like, uh, like almost like they're in the military and being like, you know, more like football players, like stand here and be here and always do this. Like they didn't get to learn. They didn't get to fail and then learn and get, you know, dangled by going after a guy too hard and then using it as a teaching tool that you failed. So now let's watch it. And here's what you can do next time and learning from it. And it's just so, damn important and all of the best leaders i know they've all failed so much and you know it's so cliche but that 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 saying uh what is it the the when the going gets tough the tough get going well the way you get tough is by failing getting calloused learning from your mistakes and getting better you can never be mentally tough if you never went through some shit yeah and joe correct me if i'm wrong here but you know, I, I feel like a lot of people's sentiments about military leadership and training is you're making robots, you know, like fall in line. Everybody does stuff the same way. Um, and, and maybe that's how it used to be. I don't know. But like in reading oh, and, and there is some of that to that, like you have to be uniform and conform to certain values and and, and certain protocols and things like that. So everybody is on the same page. But from what I've read and, and talking to people in the military, I absolutely love this stuff a lot of it is what we're talking about. It's, it's being able to create the structure from the chaos and, and being able to, um, you know, lead in these, these tough situations, because when you get out on the battlefield, like, like at the people in Afghanistan or the Taliban, like they're not <laughs> doing things exactly how you 
were told that they were going to do them all the time. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff that you got to figure out on the fly. Right. Like, so is that kind of true? Like, it's not just like fall in line. It's we're going to teach you how to embrace the chaos and, and figure it out from there. Well, it, it's funny because, you know, when, when you guys are just talking about the applicability of leadership lessons and the importance of youth sports, you know, in my head, I'm thinking like, yes, yes. Because honestly, I feel like a lot of things that sort of influenced how I led and how I want, wanted to lead when I went to West Point, when I was an officer. And I mean, even now, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a veteran, you know, I'm not really in charge of people anymore, but that, you know, that doesn't take away my ability to lead or influence other people. Um, and, and there are a lot of things that I learned from playing hockey as, as a young kid. And, um, you know, it also reminded me of the fact that the importance of athletics at the service academies and at West Point in particular is one of the critical pieces of knowledge that you have to memorize your first summer there is a, is a line from Douglas MacArthur that says on the fields of friendly strife on other fields, on other days, we'll sow the seeds of victory. And I, I really hope I nailed that one because Can anybody, <laughs> of course, a little bit further? <laughs> of course, I'd be happy to. Okay. Um, <laughs> basically what, what he was getting at is that when you play team sports in particular, what it translates to is the, the, the things that you go through as a member of a team in a sport where you're playing other teams, the enemy, you learn a lot of valuable lessons and things that will then translate to the battlefield, how to be a good teammate, how to work well with the team, how to, you know, how to lead if you're a captain, how to follow, you know, in instances, if you're not a team captain, how to win how to prepare to win. Um, just, I mean, you could go, you could probably come up with a list a mile long of like the, the seeds that he was referring to, but basically it was in essence to, to win at war, you need to play sports. You need to be an athlete. You need to go through that, you know, and I'm sure you could also look at just the base aspects of you know, to, to be a, an effective soldier, like you need to be in shape. And what's a good way to be in shape is to play sports. And so, yeah, you know, every, well, and then that, that leads to another saying at West Point is every cadet and athlete. So even if you don't play on an NCAA team, even if you don't play on a, you know, a club level team, um, you have to play intramurals. Like every cadet plays a sport of some kind. Um, and you have to meet, you know, other physical requirements while you're there too. So I'd like um, to talk about that real quick. Uh, the <laughs> sure. physical requirements, because, um, you know, obviously I don't want you to speak ill of the military, but, uh, you know, I work with, um, the St. Louis blues warriors hockey program. This is a really, really badass program where the blues sponsor and work with veterans, military veterans from all the different service branches. Um, I believe the qualifications to be part of that organization is you have to be 10% disabled or more, either mentally or physically. Um, these, these men and women are awesome. Um, I have them to my gym every Sunday, whoever wants to come from the four teams that they have, you know, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. 
um, alpha being the best and delta being more like people that are new to playing hockey have never played and they do it for camaraderie and they do it for you know somewhere to go and it keeps them mentally healthy and they feel like a part of something and they're all great great people but um you know obviously these these the ones that i'm working with are all at least somewhat injured uh, but talking to them about their training and in the military and you know some of the things they were doing and it's just like literally just broke their body like just broke their body down and obviously you know there's going to be a part of that where that has to happen with with what you guys are doing to keep us all you know enjoying all the freedoms that we have but how was the training um you know when you were part of the military well it, it varied because to me west point is kind of a different animal than the real army um, you know, when you're at West Point, the, the requirements that you have to pass are there. Um, and then more or less, it's on you to ensure that you're always in a state of physical readiness to, to meet those um, versus the real army, um, at, at least in, in the unit that I was with. And I mean, you'll, you'll find slight differences all across the world in different units, but the, the physical aspect is very regimented. So, I mean, you're doing PT at, at a bare minimum as, as like a platoon to like anywhere from 30 to like 50 men and women working out together. Sometimes you'll have like larger unit runs or ruck marches. So it, it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's every single day you know, there's, there's a big negative stigma. And I mean, the, the nuances to that is like a whole nother thing about, you know, people that fall out of runs or ruck marches and, and, and stuff like that. Being in shape is a, is a big deal. Um, you know, I, I always pushed myself because as an officer, you're supposed to lead from the front. Well, I want to, I want to kind of keep going on this because I think one thing that comes from what we're talking about is and vex you posted about this it was about wall sits uh, like a week or two ago and to be a, a soldier in the military and, and to a lesser extent to be a high level athlete you have to be mentally tough you have to be physically and mentally tough and i feel like getting physical toughness by getting your ass kicked in training <laughs> that that can really build mental toughness and and i specifically remember talking to our strength coach at cornell about this once like we did a lot of sets at the end toward to failure and and why did we do that there was a method behind the madness it was to okay you think you're going to fail here you think this is your last rep no do another one <laughs> do another one and and a lot of times you can feel like you do another one when you get that burst of motivation or that burst of confidence or whatever it may be. And so Vex, I, I want to ask you because you posted about this in wall sits and you were basically like, wall sits do nothing for you physically. Like it'll burn your legs, but at the end of the day, it's not making you a better hockey player. It's not making you a better athlete, but it is making you more mentally tough to that failure, right? Like you have to, who's going to, who's going to drop the weight first, you know, who's going to sit, who's going to sit lower. Like you can tell a lot from doing wall sits, especially like the people who are doing it right versus the people who are cheating it a little bit, you know? Um, so talk, talk a little bit about that because I feel like that's something that the military does, you know, they'll, they'll kick your ass physically, but it's not necessarily even a physical thing. It's more like to build your mental toughness, maybe. And Joe, I'll get your take on it after Vex too. Well, that's a great question, Toph. And I believe football is 90% mental and, <laughs> 30% physical, 40%, 40%, 40%. Come on. Little, little giants. giants. What's up? 
What's up? Um, I use RIP John Madden. Um, yeah, you know, like I wouldn't say that you get no benefits from wall sits, but there are so many more things I would rather do with that couple of minutes in the gym that I think could get more from a physical standpoint. However, um, when you're training athletes or people in the military that are in charge of keeping all of our freedom safe and, you know, saving people around the world and stuff, obviously there is a very, very, very important mental component to helping them be a better you know, person, better athlete, better, you know, person in the military or whatever. And, uh, you know, you need to be able to train the mind and the body. And it's not something you want to break down all the time, obviously. Um, However, there are times where it is very, very beneficial to push people past their limits. And what I found, and, you know, I was actually talking to somebody about this like a week ago as well, um, because they were asking about that post. And the way I explained it was that, um, most people don't know how to give a hundred. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast a while ago. And what I mean by that is giving your 100 is like literally giving everything you possibly have. That to me is driving your car until it's completely out of gas. It shuts down. That's 100, right? And most people give 90 and they think that's their 100 but they don't know that they have that extra 10% in there. That's why people always say, oh yeah, he gave 110 today. Well, no, he probably actually reached his 100% potential or, or reserve, you know, everything rather than leaving some in the tank. And this goes right and hand in hand with what we're talking about, like failing. And this is the reason that I push kids and, and guys in the NHL too, to do a wall sit to where they literally fall over. They literally cannot move after they seize up because I want them to know that they would have quit, you know, a minute before or 30 seconds before they would have, if I would have let them, but they had more in the tank. So all of a sudden you see, you know, like for example, it was a young group as the first first, uh, second week I was with this young group and, uh, we did like a minute wall sit. Then the second set, we did a minute 15. Then the third set, we did a minute 30. Then the second week we started a minute 30, then a minute 45, then two minutes. And what happens every time is the first week after the first set, a minute they're dying. Oh my God, I can never do anymore. Oh my God. Well, we bear, <laughs> we rest and we do it again. And I make them go longer and they always go, they go 15 seconds longer. I go, wow. I thought you were going to die. Well, you just went a minute 15 longer after you told me you were going to die. Oh, then we do a 15 seconds longer after that. And so when I made that post and I do this from time to time is I think we were up to like 145 for the third set. And, uh, you know, after the first set, they told me they were going to die. <laughs> nice try. I know better than this second set. Oh my God, I can't do another one back. I hate you. And then the third set, I'm like, all right, 10 seconds left. And then I just don't say anything. And they're not allowed to go down until I tell them to go down. And we went for over three minutes, I want to say. And, you know, looking at them all. And I'm like, boys, today, the first set, you went a minute 15 or whatever it was, minute 30. And you literally acted like somebody shot you in the face. And now you just doubled that two sets later after you'd already done another set, which you thought you were going to die also. So the importance of learning that is you have so much more and your brain will quit before your body does. So like learning to be able to push yourself and dig deep. And the way I explain it for like relating to hockey is dude, you're out there for 30 seconds. You've been buzzing all shift and it's overtime and you got a back check. Yeah. I know you're tired, but going, you can still, you can still, like if somebody put a gun to your head and said, you got to catch that guy or else I'll pull the trigger. You're going to catch that guy. You will, or else you die. And that's kind of that 
mindset that I want to instill in my guys and girls that train with me is that you can still dig deep and give more. You can, you have it in you. And that's your 100, not your 110. You're usually hitting 90. Well, I want them to learn how to actually hit their 100. And obviously in the military, like talking about buds, that's literally like basically what they do. And even more so intense, like way more intense. But, you know, and I just think that that's so important for young athletes and all people to learn because you fail the first time, whatever you fail the second time. Oh my God, you just went three times as long. And that's where I learned to build my own, um, both mental toughness and confidence. Cause I knew that I could go way longer and way harder and push myself because I knew I was going to be okay. And if my legs or whatever gassed out, I knew I was going to be fine. And I'd be able to get up in a minute, you know, and learning that when you're a young athlete, will translate to being a better hockey player, a better person, a better worker, a better, better military, you know, uh, um, person. Like it's just, it's so, so, so important. I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I, I can think of a couple of instances from my dad and, and some of my coaches growing up, you know, I, I, I can't recall vivid memories of being in the gym and, and kind of like physical, like actual going through that, but just some of the, the things that my, you know, my dad never put me through the ringer really, you know, physically, but for me to play hockey, some of the, the basic requirements, like the things that he and, and my mom demanded sort of forced me into that mentality of we could, our team could lose by 20 goals. But as long as it was evident to them and from the, uh, like the coaching staff point of view, if I gave it everything that I had, they were happy. Like they, they could, they can live with that. Parents, um, parents, take note, parents, parents. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm having too much fun with the <laughs> microphones, but that's, that's such a good lesson, dude. Like for, for parents, um, like we get wrapped up in the, my hockey ranking so much, but it's like, did my kid learn how to give it? there all today and that's something that you've probably taken with you your, I mean you have your your entire life now we're talking about it here on a podcast that, that was something that really stuck out and yeah and just things like that things like you know obviously early early on I think you know everybody's parents you know are at practices and stuff but you know as you get older parents don't stick around but something that my parents would always keep re- reiterating with me was always act like someone's watching, always act like some, some, something's watching. And, you know, as I got older, it, it, they sort of drew the correlation and act like someone's watching because, you know, whether it be a practice, whether it's a game, somebody could be watching somebody who could literally write or write off your future hockey career could be in the stands and you don't even know it, or you might not even, you know, see it, you, you know, you might be halfway through a drill or, you know, in the por- corner with your head down. And just, you know, a couple of seconds that someone takes a look at, you know, what are you doing? And, you know, it just, it just makes all the difference. And so just things like that kind of always being in my head on the ice, off the ice, just sort of forced me into that. I'm here. I'm going to give it my all. I love that. My dad Um, is so funny. My dad, he gave us all Vex. He probably gave you this one uh, to you too, but it, um, it's almost the same, but in an opposite way, the saying like my dad always said, it's what you do when nobody's looking that makes you the person that you are, which is kind of similar mm-hmm. to what you're saying. Somebody could always be watching, 
it, it's what you do kind of like in your preparation and, and how hard you work and how much you give that that really matters. And yeah, it just, it's something that I've always lived by. It's like a model that my dad gave me kind of similar to, to what your parents and what your dad were talking about. So I just think that's, that's really cool. We'll get right back to this week's episode, but before we do, I want to talk to you a little bit about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Ingredients travel from farm to your house in under a week, so they always arrive fresh and all without a trip to the grocery store or the farmer's market. You can pick your favorites from up to 50 different weekly options and skip weeks when you need to, change your delivery date, or update your preferences all in the HelloFresh app. Guys, I use this, and with a family of five, with three kids under five, any way that you can have a healthy meal where you can also save some time and save some money. It's an unbelievable value add. So we use this with our family and it's been really, really helpful just in, in getting things ready and also helps a little bit in the wallet as well. So go to hellofresh.com slash think take 16 and use the code, use the code think tank 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash ThinkTank16 and use the code ThinkTank16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Thank you so much. And now let's head it back to the show. Um, okay, so we've had you on here. I have two more questions for you. Um, yeah. You know, the first one is we, we talked a lot about mental toughness and military training and stuff like that. Uh, another thing that's very special about the military that I alluded to earlier is, again, you guys literally take bullets for each other. I'm extremely interested in team building. It's part of, it's what I do now. It's part of my business, travel around a, a lot of different places. I've learned so much from talking to military people, talking to people outside the military, business, sports, you name it. So for you, um, when it comes to building a team, when it comes to getting people to buy in, when it comes to having an identity, what is something that you really took out of being at West Point, being in the army, or even maybe something that your your dad uh, from being in special forces taught you when you were younger? Um, what's something that really, really sticks out to you, your coach now that you try to impart in, in your team that you're coaching from your time in the military? For me, a big thing is just sort of having a mindset of, of putting the team before yourself, putting the guys on the left and the right of you above yourself. Um, and, you know, for me, I think it's, that's, that's how I learned. That's how I learned to play hockey. Um, I loved going into the corners, taking a hit to make a play. I love like <laughs> to the point where I, I love blocking shots to the point where like there was one moment during my U18 year, U18 year, U18 year. Sorry. Um, there you go. Found it out, baby. We, there you yeah. go. <laughs> um that uh we had a, a really tight win and after the game as I was taking off various pieces of gear I would count the bruises on my body 
from the block shots and and <laughs> and a couple of the guys sitting next to me were doing the same thing they're like oh you missed one right here and then i had some like 17 bruises <laughs> from block shot. and and so that's just to me that's what being a leader and, and being a just being a part of an effective team and a team that that wins and goes places is really all about is being being willing to sacrifice yourself um, and you know let someone else take the spotlight. You know, I guess this might be another nice nugget for for players and parents out there is knowing your role <laughs> on on a team and th- and that's something that I figured out really early on. You know, I was a guy that blocked shots. I was a guy that got under guys on you know. I got under the goal scorer's skin on the other team, um, you know, made them take stupid penalties while I kept my head and, you know, I let our goal scorers score the goals. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's another thing too, is that you can take into the military or even, you know, in business and in life is, is recognizing people's different strengths and weaknesses and how do you optimize their strengths to best benefit the team? And then how do you mitigate their weaknesses, um, you know, to make sure that they're, you know, not harming the team in, in any way, you know, whatever that might look like. Very cool, man. Very, very cool. Bex, anything to add to that? I mean, you, you clearly played in Omaha because, uh, you know, I played there for three years in the USHL and I basically ate a steady diet of pucks for three years. <laughs> <laughs> non-stop <laughs> I ate pucks like it was my J-O-B pretty much because it was I love it I love it okay uh so last thing I want to talk about here uh Joe is you know we haven't really talked about ACHA hockey on the podcast much maybe when we had our cousin Cody on because he played for Lindenwood back in the day um but you know, I think it's it's good for a, a lot of our listeners to hear about what it is, and it's it's high level club hockey at the collegiate level, and as we know, just from percentages, I think everybody has hopes and dreams of, of playing Division One hockey, maybe playing Division Three hockey if that doesn't work, um, and then you know, there's this really awesome avenue for really high level hockey. I mean, you look at Penn State; they were ACHA. You know, they, they made it up Arizona to State. Arizona state, same thing. Lindenwood will be doing that mm-hmm. uh, next year as well. Right. So um, if you can just talk a little bit about your experience, you played ACHA at, at army at, at West point, and, and now you're coaching ACHA. You're out in Colorado right now for, for Colorado state. Um, so just take a couple minutes to talk about what ACHA hockey is, the benefits of it. And just for a lot of people that probably don't know what it is. Yeah. So, um, and I'll be quite honest. I had no clue what the ACHA was until I showed up at West Point and, uh, and lucked into being a, a part of AC, uh, West Point's ACHA D2 team. They, it's extremely competitive hockey. Um, you know, they have division one, division two, II, division three, they have two women's divisions. You know, they, they, the formats look a little bit different for each um, for postseason, but I mean, they've got regional tournaments, they got national tournaments. I don't know off the top of my head when the ACHA started, but they've been doing it for a while. And just the quality now is in certain instances, you have ACHA programs that probably have the money and resources and support from a school that in some cases are 
could rival an NCAA they Division there are One program. programs that absolutely do. Liberty. I, and I mean, you know, obviously the programs that, that, you know, we mentioned that are making the jump to the NCAA, you know, there's a reason for that. And I think, you know, if I could say anything to, to anyone who doesn't know what the ACHA is, to, to players that are kind of looking at, at college and, and next steps, it's also an opportunity for players that want to go to a specific school that may or may not have an NCAA D1 or D3 program. In my case, Army did have, you know, an NCAA D1 team, but say a kid growing up in the South as part of like the, you know, Alabama, Georgia rivalry and wants, and, and they play hockey, you can be a part of that rivalry. You know, Alabama and Georgia both have ACHA hockey programs. It gets pretty um, nuts down south, doesn't it? Like they, they it get does. Thousands. South Carolina, I've heard like yeah, thousands of big. fans, crazy. Yeah. So you know, I think that's one perspective to look at it. Isn't you know not necessarily looking at it as oh, I'm not good enough to play NCAA D1 or D3 hockey. It's you know it it lets you pick where do you want to go. You could go to schools and figure out you know what is their ACHA program like. What's the team like? What's the atmosphere? What's the attitude? You know, on a personal note for me, I was fortunate to be a part of Army's ACHA program from its first year of existence. Um, Prior to 2012, it had been uh, an inline hockey club, even though most of the guys are, they're all ice hockey players. I got to be a part of the Army-Navy rivalry. I played in the first ever Army-Navy ice hockey game. Um, in 2013, um, we lost six to four. So here's the other thing. Navy has a D1 and a D2 team, um, at least while I was there. Um, and so obviously uh, a game of, of that uh, nature, they sent their division one team. So we lost six to four. It was, it was close. We beat their D2 team a couple years later, eight to two. I had the opportunity my senior year, we played Navy's division one team twice, once at Madison square garden, um, as part of Mark Messier's like no rivalry way. on ice that it was, it was incredible. Um, it was like a Islanders Rangers game, then Harvard and Quinnipiac, I think. Um, and then it was army Navy and we lost six to four there, but I scored a goal at Madison square garden. So nice. that's and then we beat their division one team at their rink on senior night, just a couple <laughs> weeks after that. That's and <laughs> eat it. It was <laughs> eat it. He says <laughs> <laughs> it would have been cool to do in Madison square garden, but uh, you know, a, a win's a win. And, um, and that's, that's actually been the only win our D two team has had over their D one team, like to date, but you know, I just, I would have loved to have played NCAA Division One hockey at Army. It would have been incredible. You know, I, I remember pleading my case. I would kill penalties. I would literally eat pucks and do nothing else just to, to represent the academy on, on ice. But then having the opportunity to still do that, even though, you know, it, I didn't know about the ACHA program at the time. And then just the cool, you know, I'm going to be a part of the Army-Navy rivalry like that history like forever i scored a goal at madison square garden that's a you know a memory and a story that i'll have 
forever. So, you know, I, I, I think the ACHA affords a really cool opportunity for a lot of players out there who might think that they're done after, you know, high school, youth, AAA, juniors, what have you. You can still find really high quality hockey in the ACHA and, you know, have four more seasons with the boys. Chance to play college hockey. You know, yeah. At, yeah. at the end of the day, you get to represent your school and, and play it's college, college hockey. hockey. Yeah. yeah. And I can attest to that big time. I'm the strength coach for Maryville University um, in Missouri here in St. Louis. They're ACHA D1, D2 and women's ACHA D1 team. And like we work out three times a week with the ACHA D1 men's team. Like they're every year they've gotten more and more intense and they're getting better and better players um, they practice just like a D one team, you know, they, they practice four to five times a week. Like they, they, uh, they're a CCM school. So like everything is CCM. Like when I went to Western Michigan, um, WMU's ACHA D one team, it was, you know, this was 2005 to 2008. Um, I was only there for three years cause I signed a show deal, uh, not a big deal. And, um, they practiced kind of all over the place. Guys had to carry their bags in and out. They didn't have their own locker room, but like, dude, Maryville here, um, you know, like they, it, it literally, you would think they're a D one team, like NCAA D one team, they get treated unbelievably. And it's so cool to see, and they take it seriously too. And every year it gets more and more intense and the hockey gets better and better and better. So, you know, don't ever think like you're too good or like, well, you know, why wouldn't you keep playing in school? And there's some schools that find ways to, uh, to give guys money or scholarships for, for books and their grades and stuff too. So like, you know, there's, there's, if you can get scholarships for freaking video gaming, you can definitely find ways to get scholarships to play ACHA D1, D2, whatever, you know? So, um, you know, don't give up the, don't, don't give up uh, because you didn't play NCAA D1. There's still great hockey out there and a lot of good times to be had. Yes, sir. And I yes, think sir. too, <laughs> just one final thing that it kind of, uh, Jeffy uh, kind of jogged my memory is, is the programs that maybe, aren't treated like D1 programs because you know for the the four years that I was at West Point especially that that first one to two we had to scrap and claw for everything um you know we were getting hit with you can either get the 5 a.m ice slots on Tuesdays and Thursdays or you can get the the 10 30 ice slot p.m <laughs> um and we had to get vans um because the, the rink in location to the, the cadet barracks is about a mile and it's all uphill. <laughs> um, so we would have to get vans to load everybody's stuff up, drive it up, drive it back down. And so I think the programs that, that operate, that, that have to operate like that, the guys that are there are guys that want to be there. Cause if you don't, if you don't want to keep playing competitive hockey, like, at least in my opinion and from what I observed from, from my teammates um, at West Point while I was there, we all wanted to be there. We all wanted to be playing hockey and, and we wanted to win. And that's why we were willing to jump through those hoops. And, you know, by, by my senior year, you know, we were, we were getting a little bit of recognition and, and, you know, um, things are looking up and, you know, I, I try and keep close tabs on the program and they just keep getting better and better every year. And yeah, it's, 
it's a bunch of guys that want to be there. I think <laughs> a lot to be said about that. That is a lot to be said about that. Well, thank you for being here, Joe. This was, uh, this was awesome. Getting the chance to talk about your experience, talk about the, you know, the, the similarities between military training and, and athletic training and how all of that just applies so much to what we're trying to accomplish in, in our own lives and in real life. And so we appreciate so much your perspective. Thank you again so much for your service. If you get the chance to talk to your dad, thank him for us. If you listen to whatever, maybe, um, but we so appreciate it and uh, we would not be able to do this without you guys. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, hope to be in touch at some point. Thank you for having me.